Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We, we praise you. You're the, the Lord of the sea. Even the wind and the waves obey you, Lord. You're, you're a great God, and you're in control. You're a glorious God, and, and we don't have to fear circumstances or people, storms. I, I pray, Lord, today that you would show your glory to us, Lord, that we would be in awe, just like these disciples were, of, of who you are, and that we would find comfort in your, in your power, in your glory, in your grace. Teach us today, Lord. Shape and mold us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, today begins a, a little, another mini section in the book of Mark. The next four stories in the book of Mark are, are larger than most of Mark's stories in, in, his, in his gospel. Uh, they, they tend to focus in on these miraculous works of Jesus Christ, right? They show Jesus as this, this great miracle worker and Lord. The theme of, of the Lordship of Jesus Christ continues on through this. That's what the book of Mark is all about, right? To teach us that Jesus is Lord. But what you see is these, these great miracles, these great works lead you to a, to a point where you have to make a, a decision, right? You have to choose between fear or faith. Unbelief or, or belief, or to accept Jesus or reject him, right? You see this, they're all confronted with the power of God, and they have to accept or reject who Jesus is. And that's exactly what happens in this story. We see this great storm arises. This was the storm of the century, right? The hundred-year storm, this was a these, this was more powerful storm than normal, uh, it, you got to know that these guys, Jesus' disciples, some of them were, were fishermen. They were experienced sailors, and they're freaking out, right? I can imagine them bailing water as fast as they can. They're, they're filled with fear. They're thinking they're going to die. And they would have been used to, to storms. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is, uh, is 700 feet below sea level, and 30 miles to the north, is Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 9, feet, I believe. And so what happens here is the warm sea air brushes up and, and clashes with the cold mountain air, creating these powerful thunderstorms that are, that are a, no, a normal occurrence there. And we know about thunderstorms. We experience them here in Arizona. We know the power. We know that they're able to blow a roof off of a home and, and bend light poles and and blow down 100-year-old trees, right? So, so this has got to be the storm uh, that they've never seen before, and they think they're going to die. And so in the middle of this storm, Jesus is sleeping, right? They go to Jesus, and he's sleeping, and they wake him. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And so some people wonder, well, why is Jesus sleeping? How, how strange is that? Some people might say, well, it's part of God testing them, testing their faith, which is, which is plausible. But I think uh, the main part of that is just Jesus is tired. He's exhausted. Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. That's called the hypostatic union, right? He, he's 100% man, 100% God. And I think Jesus was genuinely exhausted, tired. Jesus is traveling around, right, by foot, 
city to city, you know, over the sea. People are crowding around him. He's doing all these amazing miracles. He's, he's teaching. Everyone wants to get a, get, touch Jesus so that they can be healed. So I, I just think part of that is just Jesus is tired because he's 100% man, right? That's part of his humanity. But he's also 100% God, and we'll see him, his display, his, his deity through this miracle. Now, what is, what is happening here as these disciples are, are freaking out? The way I describe what's happening here is that they're doubting God and they're de- depending on themselves, right? They're de- doubting Jesus, right? The God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, is in the boat with them, and they're freaking out, bailing water, thinking they're going to die, right? So they're doubting Jesus. Is he really God? Is he really king? Is he really who he says he is, right? And if he's really God, if he's really king, does he really love us? Does he really love us to let us go through this? Because if he loved us, he wouldn't allow this storm in our life. He wouldn't allow hard things if he really loved me, right? So they, they doubt and they depend on themselves, right? They're, they're depending on their own strength. The scripture doesn't tell us that they're, they're bailing, but they had to be bailing. That's what you do when that boat's filling up is you bail, right? You try to survive as long as you can, and when you can't survive on your own anymore, so they go to finally go to Jesus. And that's exactly how anyone who's ever uh, walked with Jesus has felt th- this way, that we've, we've probably all felt what they're experiencing, right? We've, we've doubted God. When we get into difficult circumstances, God, are you real? Do you exist? Do you care? God, where are you? Are, are you sleeping, God? Right? Who, who hasn't had those kind of, those, those wrestling matches? And, and so we doubt God, and then we depend on ourselves and, and try to take control of our lives because, you know, if God loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this, so I, I got to do it myself. I, I have a, well, that's, and that's exactly what Satan's strategy is, right? Satan's strategy is to get you to doubt God and depend on yourself, right? Ever since the, the beginning, right, in the garden, the first thing we see when Satan shows up on the scene, what does he try to do? He tries to get Eve to doubt God. He tells Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the, any tree of the garden? Right? You won't die, Eve. You will not surely die. Right? She, he's creating that doubt in her. And he says, depend on yourself. You can be like God. Depend on yourself. Right? He'll, God's going to let you down. So you can be like him and, and you can trust yourself and you can be in control of your own world. So for, and so uh, here's just a little story in my life how that plays out. When I, when I was in, uh, coming out of high school, I've always been a, a pretty organized guy. I've had a plan and a, a goal, and I go towards it. So coming out of high school, my plan was to go to ASU, get my degree. I wanted to work for Young Life, uh, uh, so get my career going. I wanted to have a car and get a house and, and then get a wife. And by God's grace... You know, all that other stuff, all that stuff happened pretty easy, right? I, I, I got, got the car, the career, the, the house even. But the wife didn't come on my timing, right? And I was frustrated with God. 
And I was, I was doubting God, God's love for me. I was doubting the goodness of God. God, God's not enough, right? I, I need a woman to fulfill me. I was looking at, at a woman uh, as an idol. A woman became an idol in my life, right? I was worshiping the idea of, of this woman to fulfill me and make me happy and, and, and fulfill, fulfill my identity as a man. And, and it made me depend on myself. It made me try to make relationships happen. It made me try, I was constantly trying to, to find a, a girl to date or a girl that would like me. And I was insecure when they didn't like me. And, and I, it, was, it was just a mess. I was filled with fear, right? Just like the disciples. When they're doubting God, they're dependent on themselves. They're fearful. When I was doubting God, depending on myself, I was fearful. I was insecure. And I remember praying this prayer to God. I said, God, I can trust you with anything which is really arrogant. No one trusts God with everything, all right? But I can't trust you with being single. I remember praying that prayer clearly to God, right? And it, and it played out in my life, right? It made a mess. And it wasn't until God started working in my life and, and revealing my idolatry and revealing his, his love for me, and I started looking at Jesus and, and not looking to be fulfilled through a wife, that God started you know, create, building my faith. And I, I surrendered control. And I remember my prayer became, God, I, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I'll be single for the rest of my life. That's what my prayer became. I, and I remember saying, God, if you want me to, I'm just going to be faithful to you. I'm going to serve you. And whether I'm married or not, I'm just going to keep going forward. Because it's about your glory, your kingdom, not, not about me. And I mean, that was a great blessing. That was a great blessing. And, and when I surrendered control of that to God, right, uh, eventually God brought me a wife pretty quick after that and blessed me with a, a beautiful wife, amazing wife. And God didn't want to give me an idol. He wanted to give me a wife, right? So God had to, to work in my heart, right? He didn't want me to give an idol to worship. He wanted me to worship him and then, and then, you know, maybe I would get married. Some people will get married. Some people won't. And, and by God's grace, I uh, was blessed with a wife. So that's how doubting God, depending on ourselves, plays out in our life. And I mean, I'm sure you can, if you think about it, you can think of scenarios in your own life, right? Doubting God, depending on yourself. Maybe it's with your kids or in your marriage or your, or your job. But we all do it. So here we are. Right? They're doubting God, depending on themselves, freaking out in the middle of this storm, and they wake up Jesus. Right? Jesus rebukes the wind, and he says to the, the waves, peace, be still. Right? And, and so that, some people might think, why the redundancy? Why does Jesus say almost the same thing twice? Well, he's talking to both the wind, the storm, right? And when he says, when he rebukes the wind, I imagine the clouds splitting, the sun coming out, the thunder stopping, the lightning stopping, the rain stopping, right? And, and so I think the reason he, he talks to both things is because that could have just been a coincidence that the rain, you know, the storm stopped, the storm broke and cleared up, and maybe it was just a freak occurrence. But it's not, it is no coincidence that the, the waves stopped, right? Because even after a, a, a storm stops, the waves crash for hours. And so I imagine not only does the sky clear up, but the water is calm. 
And it says here that it's a, a great calm. Other translations say a dead calm. So I imagine the, the water smooth as glass. If you've ever seen water smooth as glass, you can see your reflection in it. How amazing is that? How, how powerful is that to see the dead calm on the ocean, on the, on the sea? And, and in ancient cultures, and so in this time, the sea, the sea was an unstoppable force of destruction. And it was only, only controllable by God himself. And so Jesus demonstrates the, the, the power that only God himself has. Right? Jesus is, is Lord over the sea. Jesus is Lord over the storm. Right? He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And we, we see it d- displayed here. He's only able to... He's, only, he's able to exercise the power that only God has, right? And, and he doesn't appeal to a greater power because he is the greatest power. And so there's this amazing miracle, and Jesus says two questions to his, his disciples. He asks them, in uh, verse 40, he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you afraid? And I can imagine what the disciples are thinking, right? Well, why are we afraid? Well, we thought we were going to die. There was this great storm that we haven't seen one like this forever, maybe in our whole lives. And we, we thought you didn't care for us. We thought you didn't care that we're going we're gonna to die here and perish here on the sea. That's why we're afraid. We're afraid because we thought that if you're really God, that you wouldn't allow us to go through this, right? And so Jesus' question is, is to really to get them to think that, no, I do love you, and I do allow you to go through storms, right? I love you, and I allow these things. That's exactly what James 1-2 says, one of my favorite verses in, in all of Scripture. James 1-2, I'm going to quote the NIV version because that's the one I have memorized, and you might have it different in your ESV, but just a couple different words. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? Consider it joy. Consider it joy when you face these trials. Right? Consider it joy when you face the storms of life, suffering and persecution and pain. Why? Because God says that that testing, the testing of your faith is going to develop perseverance. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to build your faith in Christ. Right? You're going to begin to, to, to see His power and His glory and how much you need Him. And you're going to begin to depend on Him. That's how you persevere. Not just because you become tougher and you can tough it out. Because you persevere with Christ through His Word and His Spirit. Right? And, he, and what does he do? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? He makes us mature, complete, Christ-like, more like Jesus. That's, it. That's his work, right? That's his work of sanctification in our lives to, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. And, and that's ultimately what is for our good. The Bible also promises that those trials, everything that God's doing, the storms, that God's working them for your good. Romans 8, 28. God's working them for your good. And it might not feel good. It not, might not be what you choose. 
But ultimately, God is, is using it for your good. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Right? So the scripture is trying to warn us, hey, don't be surprised. This is normal. Right? You're, we're living in a broken, fallen world. God's left us here to, to live for his glory and his kingdom. So don't be surprised when life gets hard. Jesus promised that, hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right? That, that you'll be persecuted. That things are going to be hard. Right? The creation groans with, with pains of childbirth. Right? It's like we're, we're groaning with these labor pains until, until the baby's born when Jesus returns. Right? So it's going to be hard now until... Jesus returns, and so we can't be surprised. These things are not strange. They're sovereignly ordained, so we don't have any reason to panic. And God uses these storms of our life for our good and His glory. I want to show you guys this, this chart. It's called the Facing the Emotional Pain Chart. And I don't know if you can read all the words, but this is just an illustration of, to me, I think of James 1-2. Right, here's, here's you on the, on the left. And, and that arrow, it says self-protection. That's when we're doubting God and depending on ourselves. Right, that's what we try to do. We're trying to be in control of our own life and, 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 and stay away from those trials, those things that God might be calling us to face. Right, sometimes we don't want to face being faithful to God because it's going to be hard. Right? But God calls us to persevere through the pain in life, through the storms, through the trials, through whatever we might have to endure. Even sometimes it's confessing sin, right? Repenting is painful sometimes. But God calls us to, to enter into that through Christ and, and deal with the pain, right? And that's the, the, that's the kindling for the fire there, is the pain, the difficult people, the difficult circumstances and God calls us to persevere with Christ through the Word of God and the Spirit of God to be more like Christ Jesus. That's the work God does. Right? We relinquish control of our lives. So, the second question Jesus asks is, have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? A better translation for that would be, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Right? And so Jesus is asking, where is your faith placed in? He's not asking them, where is your great faith like a mountain, like this big, courageous faith? He's not saying that. Right? The scripture tells us you just have to have faith like a mustard seed. So he's asking, where is the, what's the object of your faith? Right? Because it's not about you and how great your faith is. It's about how great the object of our faith is. So think about it this way. Imagine you're falling off a cliff. You're tumbling down and, and there's a branch hanging on the side of the cliff. And that branch can hold you. That branch can save your life. That's the only thing that can save your life. Now, you don't have time to think and process, okay, can this branch hold my life, right? Can this branch save me? You, don't, you only have time to grab that branch and hope it saves you. And when it does save you, right, it's the branch that saved you, not your faith. Jesus is that branch, right? Jesus is 
the only one that can save us. So it's not about our faith. We can have a small faith, but we need to grab on to the object of our faith, which is Christ Jesus, right? All we need is that seed, and all we need to do is grab that faith. So he's asking them, you know, what, what is your faith placed in, guys? And it's reminding us that, that when we're sinking in despair, when we're in the midst of the storm, we just got to grab hold of Jesus. That's what we do. We, we look to him. We trust in him. Satan wants you to, to doubt Jesus and depend on yourself. Jesus says, no, believe in me and, and grab hold of me. Surrender to me. Trust in me. Right? So we move to this. In verse 41, we see here, interesting concept. You see, it says here, he asks them why are they afraid, and then afterwards in 41, they, they're filled with great fear. Right? They're filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right? So they have no reason. The storm's calm now. They have no reason to be afraid, yet now... They're filled with great fear. What's going on there? Why, why are they more scared after the storm is calmed? You know, and, and so I had to look it up. I went and looked up the word. And, and the, the word there is different. The afraid and fear, the words are different in Greek. And the word that's used here is one that describes a, a reverential fear of God. Being in awe of God. Being in awe of who He is and, and what He has done. Right, So they've just seen God move in a powerful way. And so they're no longer fearing the storm. They're, they're fearing God, which the Bible describes as the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. They're moving to the, the right place in their heart and before God. Right, So this storm had immense power, and they couldn't control the storm. And, and so Jesus is, has more power. And he is even more uncontrollable than that storm. And that's what leads them to uh, say, you know, who is this that even the wind and the waves will be? It's more of a, a statement of being in awe of Jesus and his power and his deity. Right? So I, I, I want to just highlight two truths that we need to turn to in the midst of the storm. Two truths, right? Because when life gets hard, we want to doubt God, right? But we need to renew our mind with truth when the doubts come in. When Satan's lies come in, what we need to do is turn to truth, right? Renew your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we turn to, and I love renewing my mind with the four G's, right? So Here's two of those four. The, the first one is that God is glorious, so you don't have to fear your circumstances. God is glorious, so you don't have to fear circumstances, you don't have to fear people, you don't have to fear anything, even death itself, because God is glorious. And so uh, I want to share with you guys a little story. When I was, when I was a kid in elementary school, I, there was this neighborhood bully kid that would ride around trying to, trying to punk us out, scare us kids. He was a little bit older than me. And I remember one day in my front yard, I was out there, and he pulled up on his bike. 
and he was, you know, talking, talking junk to me, trying to scare me, uh, you know, trying to intimidate me. And all of a sudden, my mom must have heard. My mom came out. This is my happy Mother's Day story for my mom. <laughs> she came out, and as soon as she came out, I saw his demeanor change. He went from big and tough to, oh, crap, I'm in trouble now. And my, and, and my mom said to him, what's going on here? Are you, are you trying to pick on my son or something? And as she spoke, he got more fearful, and my chest was starting to puff out. I was getting more confident. She's like, what do you think you're going to do to my son? Look at him. He's twice your size. And in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, I am bigger than this guy. And so I'm all of a sudden, I'm starting to get kind of tough. You know, my fists are getting clenched. And, and basically, you know, what, what, what's your problem? Leave my son alone. And he took off, takes off riding. He never, I never remember him messing with me again after that day. Right? And so God is even more glorious than my mom. Right? Her presence brought comfort for me and, and scared him away. And so when you talk about God's glory, I always like to think of God as the heavyweight champion of the universe. Because glory has to do with power and, and being weighty, right? Amazing how, how powerful our God is. And so he's the heavyweight champion of the universe. And if I had the courage with just my mom there, right? Imagine if you have the heavyweight champion of the universe behind you, right? Undefeated, undisputed. No one can challenge him in his glory. Can't be defeated. Can't be destroyed. Eternal God. And so the, just like my mom brought me that, that courage, right, to stand up in, in, in the midst of a, a hard trial in my life, God can give us courage. He can give us strength. When we're weak, He's strong, right? And, and as we get closer to Him and His glory, the less we have to fear anything because He's, he's, he's there. He's there for us. So the second truth we can turn to is that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is great, right? His greatness has to do with his sovereignty, right? There's no maverick molecule in all the universe, right? There's nothing out of his control. He knows that every hair on your head. He knows every leaf that falls from the, from the tree. He knows every little piece of grain of sand on the beach, right? Because he's omnipotent. Right? He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. He's eternal, unchanging, and he loves you. Right? So this great, powerful God that is in control of all the universe loves us. Right? And we don't have to be in control. And he's, we can't control him, but we can surrender control to him. Right, we can in our in our life we can keep bailing water and trying to trying to do it on our own, but we're gonna we're gonna sink. We need to surrender to him and, and have him protect us and, and save us. Turning over control of your life to Jesus is the, the safest place to be. It's the safest place because he's sovereign and he's God and you're not. Right? So we can surrender 
everything, control of our life. And, and we can say just like that, that prayer, I, I prayed when I surrendered control of my life to God uh, over singleness. God, whatever you want, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have to have control of my life. What is it that you want me to do, Lord? And I'm going to do it. And it's going to be hard, and I know you're going to be there to help me, right, through the ups and downs of life. I want to end with this. In the, in the boat, the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? It's an interesting question, and, and John 3.16 addresses this. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life, right? Does Jesus care that we're perishing? Yes, right? He cares that we're perishing. He cares about all of this. Uh, uh, he cares about us, right? That's why the Father sends the world into the, the Son into the world to take on flesh. That's why Jesus comes, because he cares if we perish or not. That's why Jesus himself perishes on the cross. Jesus perished so that we could have eternal life. Right? He, he died in our place. He cares. And, and, and so we have a, a, an amazing God that's great and glorious and loving and, and perishes in our place. Right? So that we can surrender to him. So we can surrender control of all things. Right? Is there something in your life that, that you're clinging to that maybe God is asking you to surrender to him? Right? Something maybe a fear in your life and you're just terrified to, to admit it and, and, and give it over to God? Right? He cares. And, he, and he's there in the midst of storms and he wants to, to help you through the pain. And, uh, and so you got to so we all come to a, a point of what, do we, what will we choose? What will we choose? Faith in the God who cares that we're perishing or fear? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for your great power. I thank you that you cared so much that we're perishing here in this world, that you would come, come down from heaven, go from riches to rags, and, uh, and, and give up your life, Lord, so that we can have life. I pray that we would know you, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that you would reveal those things that we, maybe we're not trusting you with, Lord. And, and I think the fear is going to be the evidence of, of what is it that we're not trusting you with. So, Lord, just uh, work in our hearts, Lord. Help us experience your glory so we don't have to fear. And help us surrender control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.